Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. So uh, the reading for today is John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who he was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. God bless the reading of this word. Thank you, Claire. Uh, We are trying to get through the Gospel of John in 21 weeks, which means that every week we are going to jump into a chapter and we are only going to scratch the surface of that chapter. So church, what am I asking you to do every week? Read the chapter every day. So this week, chapter... Five. All right. Very well. Very well. Good. You guys are on it today. This is great. Um, So we're asking that you take time to read it because today we're going to focus on these 15 verses, but tomorrow the Lord might speak to you in verse 25 or verse 35. Uh, There's so much in it and so much that I would love for us to accomplish. And so what we're trying to do is to show you what John is intentionally doing so that by the time we get to John chapter 21, we almost feel so overwhelmed that you want to go back and to get more out of what John is saying. Because John is writing to both Jews and Gentiles. That's why you're going to find in his letter that he has these parenthetical statements. It's because he realizes he has an audience that understands what he's saying and then an audience that doesn't understand what he's saying. Because it's almost like there's two cultures clashing at the time where he's writing this. There's the Jewish people that thought they had access to God and that they were a special people that was totally limited to them and say so all of these laws and customs, they had the temple, they had the Torah, and they, they thought that they had the sacred land. And then Jesus shows up in John chapter 2 and says, I am the Shekinah. I'm the tabernacling presence of God. Jesus shows up and says, I am the words of Moses. I am true Torah. But this is after John starts in John chapter 1 in verse 1 by saying that the beginning of the story doesn't start with Jesus in Mary's womb. That's the halfway point. John says, like all the other gospels start with Mary and Joseph and the baby, but John's the only one that goes back and says, this is God's story from the beginning. 
He's like, Jesus was there. John 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It's the same as Genesis chapter 1 in saying that God, through Jesus, through the Spirit, did this amazing thing that birthed all of creation into order. And so I said to you guys in the first week, and some of you may not um, have been here to hear it or you may have missed it. If you need a summary of the entire Bible to see how the story has been about God all along, then I encourage you to do this. I encourage you to read the first four chapters of Genesis, see what God did and how we messed it up. Then I want you to read the first four chapters of the book of Romans to see how Jesus entered into what God had done and what we messed up. And then I want you to read the last four chapters of Revelation. So how many chapters am I asking you to read? Twelve. So I've condensed the Bible to a pamphlet, all right? But I want you guys to understand that God has loved us so much that he's been doing so many things from the beginning, not Jesus, Mary, Joseph, but from the very beginning. God has had a pursuant relationship of us. So that's John 1. Then John the Baptist gets in there, totally affirms everything that Jesus is saying about the Shekinah presence of God, the word of God being in Jesus. We begin to see that John starts to teach us through introducing us to characters. So now we find that we're now in chapter 5, and we're now meeting the third primary character that John is using as a way of proving to us who God is through Jesus Christ. So chapter 3 was the famous religious leader named who? Nicodemus. Call him Nick for short if you need to, if you're having a hard time remembering the long name. But Nicodemus. But Nicodemus was the smartest man in the room. He was a part of the Jerusalem council. He snuck out to Jesus at night because the smartest person in the room can't be seen going to somebody in broad daylight saying, I don't understand, because his job was to understand. And so he understood the Shekinah presence of God. He understood the Torah and the word of God, but yet he's seeing Jesus saying, oh, by the way, it's all in me. And so Nick was finding himself in a place where I know it's true, but I don't understand. And Jesus walks him through this idea that we must be born again. That much like a child, like we have sweet little Aria with us today. If she was anywhere else in the world, she would grow up and take in whatever culture she is on the planet. She is right here with us right now in Baltimore. She's going to have English as a primary language. But if she grew up in, say, Singapore or she was in Haiti, she would learn to speak the dialects of wherever she is because a child's brain is an open canvas. It's ready to learn. You and I, as adults, must allow the Spirit of the living God to totally wipe our minds clean and totally rebirth our brain so that we can know what we're doing in this world. Because the world's ways have nothing to do with God's ways. And Jesus is trying to do something new. And so Nicodemus was trying to wrap his mind around the fact that they had the word of God. They had the, the presence of God in the temple, at least the way they thought. But yet Jesus is saying it's in neither of those places. And then that's confirmed by the next character we met. Who was the next character we met? She doesn't actually have a name. She's... She's identified by a location, a woman at the, well, come on, did anybody listen last week? Or was it that bad of a sermon none of you remember? Like, you can at least look at chapter four and like look at the subject heading. 
all right? You know, it's like we're going in sequence here. So last week we had a chance to see Jesus with the woman at the well, and Jesus gave this woman dignity by asking her to give him a glass of water because she had been making this lonely walk in the middle of the day by herself when she should have been in community the entire time, but yet because of the choices in life and the things that had happened, she had become an outcast, and she founds herself in the middle of the day and Jesus meets her with a word of dignity, but then begins to introduce himself to her in a powerful way. And so this week, we now have a totally different situation. We have, in John chapter 5, we have another unnamed individual. We're just known by the fact that he has been sitting in this location for how many years? How many of you in this room are younger than 38 years of age? Yeah, all right. You're not even confident of that. You're just like, you should be proud. Like, you're not even broken in yet. Like, listen, this is great. Like, you have so much ahead of you. Um, my family, thanks to Instagram, because I follow some of you. I actually follow many of you. Some of you are like, oh, no, I got to go through and un- like, block the pastor. Um, was introduced to a comedian, and this comedian was doing a show in Alabama, and that should have been funny enough by itself. Um, but uh, one of the little bits that he does is a little ditty on the fact that um, we have signs for everything nowadays. And he was talking to his grandfather about how people used to cross the street in his generation before the little and the symbol that now shows up on the street and the clearly identified walkways that we have here in the city. By the way, those of you that have driver's license, who has the right-of-way in a crosswalk in every crosswalk in Baltimore City? The pedestrian does, all right? Even if there's not a sign in the middle of the road that says stop for, it's implied, right? And it doesn't matter if you knock that sign down and all you see is the remnant of the holder in the pavement. It, the, you do not have to have the sign in order to know that the person has the right of way. You do not accelerate at them in order to get them to speed up crossing the street. All right? All these things are obviously none of you that are driving, but we experience this quite frequently in our city. So with that, this particular comedian was talking to his grandfather about, well, how did you cross the street when there were, before signs were everywhere? And he's like, well, you would just stand on the street and look. <laughs> and if it was safe, you crossed, right? And it made me think, like, one of my favorite cities to visit is New York. I mean, there's so many people, so many, so many signs. But now they've made it so that it's not just signs, there's paint, So you walk into the subway, they now have the edges of the steps painted a different color, and it says, watch your, on the steps, right? So you're you're now being told that steps, if you aren't paying attention, can be dangerous, and if you fall down the steps, the city's liable because you weren't watching yourself on the steps, And then they have like these places where the walls are a little low and the ceiling's a little low. And rather than you being responsible to watch your head, and some of you, you know, aren't necessarily tall enough to know that there are height dangers in this world, but some of you are. But now we have to put a sign that says, watch your head. And then we paint the bar yellow 
so that it stands out even more so that the people that don't read the signs that at least can see the colors, but then you can look at it and tell that there are a lot of people that missed it because the paint's worn out and there's places that are there, but there's signs all over the place that you are supposed to watch your head. You're supposed to watch your step. You get to the edge of the platform. Don't step off the platform. Like, I'm like, seriously, folks, like how many signs do we need before we realize that we just are walking through life and we're not paying attention. We're not paying attention to the simple things. And I would be curious as we go through the Gospel of John and we see Jesus interacting with Nicodemus, the woman at the well. We're going to see Jesus interacting with this invalid man that's been here for 38 years. We're going to find ourselves as Jesus is introduced to characters all the way through John chapter 11 and 12. And we're going to find that I almost see Jesus saying the obvious. Are you watching the signs? You know, are you paying attention? Like, I struggled with the title of this sermon today because the obvious title was, was, Do You Want to Be Well? Which could just be a question that we could say, can you take that question seriously just for a moment and meditate on that? But I also struggled with just entitling it Stirred Waters, which I'll explain more in a minute. But then I also thought about entitling it, Do You Believe Any Lies? Because... A lie really doesn't have any power in your life unless you what? Believe it. Because then you're giving it power. And I don't know if you noticed this. How many of you actually were using a paper Bible? Okay, two. All right, that's great. Most of you have a digital Bible. Did you notice what happened as you were reading the first few verses of this particular text? What verse did they skip altogether? Four. If you notice, as you're reading through, it goes verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5. So what happened to verse 4? Well, there's two things that impact this particular verse, and I'm going to talk to us about it just a little bit. But verse 4 wasn't in many of the early manuscripts. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Bible's been through a translation period of time where they discovered old scrolls and they discover them in the original language. And then they find multiple copies because they had handwritten scrolls that were spread out all over the known world. And they find them in these um, artifact areas. And so some of them have been discovered that leave this verse out. And then others of them were discovered that have this verse in. And so theologians and, and transcribers have argued, well, well, do we include it? Do we not include it. So now some of your translations go ahead and include it by putting some sort of parentheses around it. And then other translations said it's, un, it's too confusing. Let's take it out because the root behind it is a pagan point of view. But it's not just pagan because Jewish people were participating in it too. So you find in the first century at this pool that Jesus is walking around and somehow he's getting an inventory. I don't know if somebody was his curator around the pool by saying, here's person number one, here's person number two, here's their story, all their illnesses. And then it comes upon this man that's been there for 38 years. But listen to what it says in verse four. From, from time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters the first one into the pool after each disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they have. Now, 
if this was actually inspired text, this troubles me in so many ways. Because this paints a picture of God as being ruthlessly mean and deviant. Could you imagine an area surrounded by people that need to be healing? And then God once a year tells an angel, go down and stir the water and let them fight over who gets in to get healed. I mean, what kind of loving God is that? But yet the people by mass had started empowering a lie and believing it to be true and something they thought they needed, something they thought they needed so bad that they would have to push and shove other people out of the way to get to has become a cultural norm amongst them. And you find that it creates a tension for me this morning because the tension is, is that most of us in here walked in this morning and if we need a physical healing, it doesn't seem to impair too much of our mobility. Now, I know many of you, and I know some of you in here today do need a physical healing, that there are things about you that would be determined as being um, a cripple or something damaged amongst you, whether it's emotional or physical, autoimmune, or some sort of disease you might be fighting. Like, listen, I know that that's in the room. And this particular text is not about all healings. So I just want you to stay with me in this. Because John chapter 5 is just different than John chapter 9, but we're not in John chapter 9 yet. We're getting there. But in John chapter 5, we find a man that is defined as an invalid. Very important word. Because an invalid is a very specific word to define why somebody was crippled or was in trouble. And generally, it is for two different reasons. Illness or personal decision that left them lame. We still live in a generation that wants to blame God for all of our hurts and pains. I'm going to pause long enough till I know everybody's hearing me. This particular passage, family and friends, is about a man who has been lying in this area for 38 years, believing a lie, and most likely he's there because of a decision that he made. Thirty-eight years. And he believed the lie so much that when Jesus came to him in verse 5 and says to this, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, listen to what he asked him. Do you want to get well? 38 years. Imagine the atrophy that has set into this individual. Do you want to get well? Would you not immediately say yes? This particular man believes the lie so much that he does not respond with yes. He responds with, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. So here's Jesus saying, I'm with you. 
do you, what do you want? Like, do you want to get well? And the individual is so locked in on what they think is best for their life, they tell Jesus what to do to make them well. And so that's why I struggled with the stir waters title. Because some of you have your equivalent of a stirred water. You are believing a lie about your life, about your future, about something about who you think you ought to be, or if this would just happen for me, everything in my life would be better. If this could just be, if these people would do this thing for me, then my life would be so much better. Imagine this man. He probably in the first year, in the second year, maybe even the third, fourth, or fifth year had friends and family that sat there with him and waited for the waters to be stirred. But now, 38 years in, how many of you would hang out with a friend that was a downer for 38 years? I mean, we have a hard time hanging out with a roommate for four or five months that's causing us a little bit of distress or a friend or a family member that's kind of stuck in a rut and we're like, oh, I don't know if I can hang out with you much longer. You know, you're pulling me down, right? But I, I, I want us to relate to this particular invalid because this particular individual had a chance to encounter Jesus and in encountering Jesus, he still was stuck in his own thoughts and opinions and what he valued about his own life and what he thought he needed to get well. How many of you in here right now think you know what's going to make your life better? And let me ask you this. If you were to get there, would your life really be better? Would the lie that you're believing about what you think is going to make you well going to make you well? If I just had more money... If I just had more wealth, if I just had more fame, if people would just stop getting the promotions ahead of me, if people would stop shoving me aside so I could get in, like where is it in your life that it might not be a physical illness, it might be something that's going on in your life, but you've set a goal out in front of you or you believe something is going to set you free other than Jesus Christ? And you might even talk to Jesus about the thing rather than ask Jesus, would you please just heal me? But yet we talk to Jesus about the thing he's trying to tell us is a lie that's holding us captive. And he's like, you know, you've been held down too long. You've been believing this for too long. I'm here to heal you and set you free. That's why I love this idea. When Jesus told him to get up and roll up his mat, it wasn't anything more than that. Apparently the atrophy went away. The dude rolled up his mat and just walked away. He didn't roll up his mat and walk into the pool. Something happened in his head that he realized as his body was being healed that Jesus is my answer and not what I think is my answer. And so many of you in here today just need to realize it is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus only is what is really going to be what's setting you free. But what I feel like is one of the most powerful parts of this particular text is actually after the religious leaders, because we're going to have plenty of religious leaders throughout the rest of this letter. I'm not going to focus on them really. We know they're out to get Jesus. There's a group of them that, like Nicodemus, are wanting to believe in Jesus. And there's another group that's like, we are anti-Jesus and we're going to plot with anybody and everybody we can to kill him, right? That's the story of these religious leaders all throughout. But this man said that he didn't even bother to catch Jesus' name. 
I just know this guy came by, asked me when to get well. He told me I was believing a lie. He told me to get up. I rolled up my mat. And he didn't care it was a Sabbath. He's like, I've been Sabbathing for 38 years. I'm going to roll up my mat and walk today, right? And so he did. And then eventually it says that Jesus found him. Church, can that just be what you hear? Jesus found him. It is what separates Christianity from every other world religion on the planet. I don't care what you like about other world religions. Jesus is the only one that looks for you. He's the only one looking for you. All the other gods that people are worshiping through all these other different religions want you to perform for them. And if you perform good enough, you're in. Or you at least get a little bit better. Or you get a big pat on the back. Or you could, something advances in your life. But Jesus is the only one that can reincarnate you immediately and not after you're dead. He can make you new now. He can heal you and set you towards goals that are life-giving for you right now. But it says, later when he found them, he said this, see you, were, see, you are well again. Now listen to this. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. Because some of you are like, wait a minute, I don't get this whole invalid thing. This is his own choice. He's been lying here by the pool because of his own choices for 38 years. Why would Jesus say to him, stop sinning? Because something worse could happen to you if the original sin wasn't what put him by the pool in the first place. Some of you right now are stuck where you are, crippled and lame, because you, for, you will not stop sinning. There is something in your life that you just will not let go of. And it has got you grounded in lies. You're crippled by them. You can't move with, with the pressure of these sins that are totally overtaking you. I've had so many men in the church that we come to prayer weeks and their number one prayer request is just free me from these lustful temptations. And there's so much in this world that is just gripping people because they think that it's the lust of the flesh that really is what's going to satisfy them when it's nothing but a vice that's going to steal, kill, and destroy. And then you wonder why, why am I not getting well? Why am I not moving forward in my life? And the problem is, is that you keep committing the same acts. Jesus touches you, tells you to get well. You roll up your mat, you take a few steps, and then you go back and do the same thing that you've always done. And we're putting God's grace to the test. Paul told the church in Rome, you don't keep on sinning so that God's grace can abound. He says, God forbid. And the church is, is not really talking much about sin nowadays. It's a word that makes us all uncomfortable. But sin is what motivated God to get us from Genesis to Romans to Revelation. Because what God said was good, we've made bad through our sin. And sin isn't some moral code that we're out there. Sin is the destroyer of your life. It just wants to tear you apart. And if you find yourself where you are only concerned about yourself and you are pushing and shoving people out of the way to get where you want to go, I promise you, you're not with Jesus Christ. If you are finding yourself where if in order for you to succeed, nobody else can, that is not the kingdom of God. There is no scenario on this planet where God would have you succeed and other people fail. There is no place 
in the church for you and I to feel like we are competing with one another. Because at the end of the day, it's us saying, forgive me of my sins. I want to obediently follow after you. I want to know where in my life I'm bound up by lies. Where am I believing a lie? Where am I believing that if that just happened for me, I would be better? We all have them in our areas of our life somewhere. And some of it is because other people have inflicted pain on us. We're all dealing with certain types of trauma. But Jesus can look at us like the woman at the well and say, I know you already. Now let me give you water that will never make you thirsty. And he can look at us and be like, you know what? Right now you have a vision for your life that's crippling you. You believe something that's not true. And I want to set you free. I want to heal you from that. One of the th things that I told Maddie when we were getting into this is, I'm like, I know I've got notes on the screen for you to make, but don't make them because I'm not even going to do my <laughs> notes today. I just totally, basically deleted everything that I had prepared to talk about because I was so moved in my spirit by my friend last night and then this morning because so much about our faith is rooted in lies. Like, it's easy for me right now to feel like there's not a lot of value in my life because we have so many empty seats in our church. It's so easy for me to look at decisions that other people are making and for me to start comparing myself with them. Because let me tell you, you want to you wanna find a competitive room, get a bunch of pastors in the room together in the same region of the country. You just figure out ways of just saying, hey, can I see pictures of your church? They're not wanting to show pictures of their church. They're wanting to show how many butts are in seats. Like, let me show you our last worship service. Let me fan out here, panoramic view. Yeah? I love my church. But what they're saying is, I love my church full. They wouldn't be showing that picture if there were a few people in the seats, would they? No, if you get pastors in the room, it's like, hey, how, many, how much money did you raise for your da-da-da-da-da? Yeah, and some pastor's like, yeah, man, we raised $12,000 in three months. And another pastor's like, yeah, we, we, we exceeded our goal of 80000 and we raised 200000 And they just say it like they're not bragging, and you just want to go smack them. That's just, the, that's just brotherly love. Let me just right hand to fellowship, you know, those kind of things. Like, you can just be around people and find that we are designed to push and shove each other. But I just want to go back and say that's not the original design. Sin has now designed us to fight for God's blessings. Sin has got us to think, well, if he has a lot and I have a little, then he's worth more than I am. Sin is what gets us focused on a goal that is of this world and not a goal that is a kingdom goal. But Jesus will find us and he's going to ask you a key question. And what question is that going to be? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? And if you find yourself asking Jesus a question like, what do you mean? Then very likely you're sick. Because if you don't think you're, well, you're, 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 you're sick, then there's probably a problem. Because there's not a one of us that's not tainted by the sin of this world. And we are all in need of his healing. 
And I'm grateful that he pursues us. And so today, I, I know that I know most of you in the room here today, but let me just ask an assumptive question or a non-assumptive question. I don't want to assume that some of you don't know Christ. But today, is it a day where you're just realizing that you've given your life to a lie and Jesus is standing here today saying, I want to make you well, what do you want? And you're torn between saying, I want you versus I want this thing that I think is going to make me well. And I just want to tell you guys, choose Jesus. Say to him, I want you to make me well. And for those of you in here that have already chosen Jesus, if he was to walk into the room and he walked up to you, would he say, stop sinning? Because I healed you, but yet you keep breaking yourself. And you keep coming back to me for more healing, but you keep breaking yourself. So stop sinning so that I don't have to keep wasting my time healing. Like, no. um, like, so I can, I can move on to somebody else. Like, stop stealing my powers, right? Like, let's just walk in the Lord and in his might. And so some of you today might just need to be like, you know what, today's the day that I'm just going to choose to stop. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to walk by faith and in his power, and I'm going to do everything that I can to make it and I'm going to walk fully in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the worship team back up with us right now. But if you're in that situation today where you are introducing yourself to Jesus because he's come up to you and says, I know you and I want to be in your life and I want to heal you, it just starts with a simple prayer of Jesus, I give you my life. That's where it begins. That's where it goes. And I just want to encourage you guys today, if you find yourself believing a lie and you're wanting prayer, we have prayer um, brother and sister in the back of the room that just are willing to pray over you this morning. They want to help you see the truth through prayer. You can even come to them and say, I am just overwhelmed and burdened. I need healing today. I just want to encourage you today to go to them and just say, hey, would you please pray over me? I hear Jesus saying, do you want to be well? And I want to be well. Others, you can go to them and say, hey, look, I asked Jesus, I gave Jesus my life. And you can go to them and tell them that. And they'll pray over you and, and help welcome you into our family so that we can walk together. But we're also going to take time during this Lord's Supper, to, or during this song, to take time to take the Lord's Supper together when you're ready. We come to the table when we're ready with others and we offer it to each other. Because this is designed to actually be a meal. So I'm really looking forward to next Sunday where we can go out from church. We're going to have a lot of food. We're going to have a celebration. But yet, it's going to be like an extended Lord's table. We're going to talk about the joy of the Lord. We're going to talk about what he's doing. And we're going to talk about the ways he gave up his life for us. And we're going to be able to talk about ways we're giving up our lives for each other. And then we're going to realize that, man, that's really a lot to celebrate. But we can come to the table and we can remember that his body was broken. And we even have um, little picture frames that can help guide you through that as you take the bread, dip it in the cup, and wait till everybody's done that. And then you can look at each other in face and be like, this is his body broken for you. And this is his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and take it in remembrance. But not just to remember, but to make it a way of life. This is what we do. This is who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, so let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus as we come to the table that we, we answer your question and we allow you to make us well. 
Father, I ask that in the name of Jesus that we would be able to lay down all lies and walk away. Things that we think we need don't keep us from the person that we need. And I thank you for pursuing us. I thank you that you keep finding us. And Father, I pray that we have the power through the gift of your spirit and through the ways that you've designed us to walk in your goodness, Lord, I pray that we would stop the sins that we know that we keep going back to, that keep crippling us. And so, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus that today would be a day that many get up and walk and they keep walking and they never turn back to the thing that made them cripple in the first place. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.